you start to discover that a cinematic image comes from everyone coming together to make it. It's the DP does have a, a role in it, but it's the whole team coming together, the director, the cinematographer, the gaffer, the set designer, the production designer, especially wardrobe, all of these departments coming together so that what you're filming is cinematic. I think that's the shift that people need to make. It's that what's in front of your lens needs to be cinematic if you want it to look cinematic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Unofficial Last Year Film Podcast. I'm joined by Kristen, Kenton Brandmayer, and Mark Sauter-Bloom. Say hello. 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 All right. Today's topic is cinematography uh, for beginners and middle people and, I guess, uh, professionals. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Mark here, I've known him since, I think, my freshman year. I worked on a... Um, production uh, White Hats with Jonathan Davidson that Mark was on. And then um, I've worked a lot with Mark since then, just on Lovelanda University Church stuff, as well as other um, sets. Um, other, like I think, Chris, you know, you've known him for longer since uh, ever ready. Um, but Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, yourself, what you've done, where you've been, and your experiences? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so working in making movies is something I've always wanted to be a part of. And it all kind of started seeing behind the scenes features and watching uh, crew members do their stuff and thinking that was so cool and that they had the best jobs ever. So then, of course, like like all of us, I picked up a camera, I'm sure, and started trying to film little videos and immediately ran into that. Why does this not look like what Hollywood's making? issue that is still it's still something to keep pursuing so ever since then that's been my goal is to shoot something that looks like an actual hollywood movie and so i am youtube educated for the most part although i did go to puc for two years and i did learn a lot there but after two years i ended up taking a gap year which during that time loma linda university church gave me an opportunity to start filming for them with no history of what I'd done, which was really cool. And then during that gap year, I also was fortunate enough to land an internship on an independent feature film called The Clapper, which is now on Netflix. So give it a watch. It's a fun time. And then from there, I landed a few more PA opportunities on like the Netflix movie Bright, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Showtime's Ray Donovan, and I got to see production at scale and getting to see how things are done in really big sets and then being able to bring that and apply that to smaller sets. When I came back to Lumberland University Church, it was a lot of fun to kind of change how we handled production at small scale and big scale. And here we are now and I'm there shooting for them and doing a lot of editing. Fantastic. Chris, what do you think of Mark? <laughs> Well, um, let's see. When did I first meet Mark? I think I really—I don't really know if the earliest time was when we did the web series Ever Ready for the University Church or not. 
but I think that was one of the first times I got to see like your work in a longer period of time. Um, I also worked for Loma Linda University Church. I was originally working just for um, just for stage audio and then broadcast audio and then uh, other broadcast means here and there. And I got to work a little bit with Mark there. But I really didn't get to see him in his um, cinematographer DP role until we kind of did bigger projects like Ever Ready or eventually when we did uh, an ambitious feature uh, called Melody and all the little student films in between. I got to see a lot more of Mark's work. And I think I got to know him the most on those projects, especially Melody, where it was a tumultuous experience, but probably one of the most formative um, parts of my own career and kind of showing me, like Mark was saying, like what it's kind of a taste of like when you can see a bigger set, a bigger crew of people and a much more ambitious story that you're trying to create at the same time. And it was really kind of fascinating to see um, in that kind of like more professional environment, how people operate. And Mark was definitely one of the people that kind of like inspired me to push my own creative self um, further. Uh, so much so that I even asked Mark to come and help me with some of my own films, two of which being After Hours and uh, my junior seat, uh, my junior level film called Prelude Fantasia. Good times. So Mark is primarily a cinematographer uh, or a director of photography, as some people would prefer. Fancy. Um, Kenton, mm-hmm. uh, what is cinematography? Cinematography is the position or well cinematography or cinematographer uh cinematography cinematography (laughs) okay cinematography is well it's like photography but cinema so it's like video photography (laughs) i mean yeah yeah that's like put it into most basic form that's it (laughs) yeah yep essentially uh what does the cinematographer do uh, kenton Okay, so the cinematographer gets the or is the second command on a set, and he tries to give the vision of the director and tell everyone else below him, mostly the gaffer and then his camera operators, what he wants out of the image. Nice. I don't know necessarily if it's the second in command on set, but yep, a director of photographer is the director of photography. That seems <laughs> about right. Yeah. Mark, what is your definition of um, a cinematographer? So I would I would say that a cinematographer is um, one of the key collaborators with the director in helping to translate um a director's vision into emotional imagery and then using techniques with lighting and lensing um colors stuff like that to enhance storytelling through pictures that was like so eloquent yeah i like that (laughs) definition a lot better than mine (laughs) i've had a lot of time to think of words lately so (laughs) yeah i think for myself when I was on Melody for like a week and a couple days um, I think kind of like what Chris said that kind of really kind of transformed my understanding of like how a set was run and what happened on set in the first place and a lot of that was just mainly down to Mark just being fantastic and like knowing (laughs) like how 
how um, to set up a scene and how to shoot it. And um, also with uh, the director, Philip Sherwood, um, taking things and um, blocking things out and planning it out with Mark doing the first place. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Chris, on, on Melody and on other, th- and other things, we've seen Mark do a lot of stuff. Uh, what does a cinematographer need to know? Oh, man. Um, a lot of things. Um, I would say anything that has to pertain to the visuals of the story or the visuals of a frame, a cinematographer has to understand to some degree. Like Mark was saying, um, cinematography involves a lot of smaller elements of color and lighting and shadows and making sure they understand how that light's going to pass through a lens and understanding how that light being bent by the lens is going to hit a camera sensor, understanding that camera really well, and then ultimately taking all this technical knowledge and then making sure it has a point and a meaning and a direction to ultimately, like you said, guide the story. So I think a really good cinematographer understands all of those visual technical aspects and knows how they can translate it into something meaningful. Kenton, what else? For what a cinematographer needs to know? Yeah. Um, they need to know how to communicate their the director's vision and interpret that into their own vision and hand that vision on to more and more people. They need to know how to communicate like all positions on set like I feel like we've been talking about communication is very important. And again, here, it's another very important aspect. And you need to know how to get the most out of people too. Mm, those are huge. Mm-hmm. Mark, what else? <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, you're spot on with communication, um, especially as things start to scale up. Um, as a cinematographer, you really start to realize that you're there to look out for your crew. Um, it's, you got to protect them from the, the hours worked, um, make sure that they're all informed on what's going on, because sometimes when it gets stressful and the production department is there driving down, like we have our time limits, the sun is going down, things get intense pretty quick. So being a good communicator with your team and knowing everyone's strengths and also trusting people on your team is incredibly important. Like your camera operators, if you have people there that you know they're going to get good shots, it's so much uh, easier to just let go and be like, they got this. Uh, I'm going to focus on the bigger uh, picture of things. Um, and then on the technical side, I mean, kind of knowing your, your lighting, um, how to use a lot of different equipment. It's changing very quickly, knowing your cameras, knowing your lenses, and um, I guess just kind of be in tune with the, with I guess, feeling pictures. Like, I don't know. Just being able to be present in the moment too and get past some of the technical limitations and see if what the image you're making is like is getting that feeling out that you wanted. Nice. Um, touching upon the communication aspect a little bit, uh, Mark, in your experiences um, on the independent feature films and on the Netflix uh, 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 or Bright and or Broken Nine Nine, um, I don't know if you've personally seen it, but 
uh, how does how do you, do you think the cinematographer like delegates on set? Is it all like planned out in pre production, and then the AD understands that and then takes it over, or like on set does the cinematographer communicate the, to the AD, or is it the other way around? It's it definitely is different on every set. I I remember day one of being a production assistant on the Clapper. I was in the production office and I was printing out scripts. And then I got a message that was like, hey, can you print out the shot list from our DP? And it came in and it was like the length of the script. And um, it was a whole, the whole thing was shot listed. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's intense. I've never done anything like that before. Um, but so that was the one that I kind of got to see. Um, and they, the director and the DP on that show really got together and planned things out. And it was that one. I mean, once production started, I didn't see them interacting as much. Um, on Bright, I did see the DP and the director were close because they they had worked together in the past on lots of other productions. Um, and then on Brooklyn Nine Nine, well, they seemed like that. It seems like those TV shows—they're all kind of in a rhythm, and they are constantly rotating directors and DPs, and they all just kind of know what to do. Didn't get to see much prep on that one. But it's yeah, prep prep is key. It's the free time. <laughs> Do you think on a student film is it better for like the cinematographer to like delegate um, people, or if there's like an AD, is it better for the AD to delegate people and the cinematographer just focus upon what he needs to or he or she needs to do? I would say that the DP should be watching out for the camera team and the grip and electric team. Uh, you'll often have the the AD is kind of there too, and the production department as a whole is there on more of a grand scheme basis where they're they're checking in on departments and making sure things are going well. But the DP is in contact with the gaffer the whole time, um, and their camera ops, and they're the ones that the AD is going to come after uh, if things start to get crazy. So I'd say that the DP should be there to delegate to their team. I mean, on, on a smaller set, if things are falling behind, I'd say there's not as much harm in um, an AD kind of stepping in to offer some assistance. But as things start to scale up, that's where I would say it, the DP should kind of filter that information through. And let's just say like the an electrician like takes a light from this area to another area and the AD doesn't exactly know why it's like just like the AD should they should the AD just be like oh that's what the they're supposed to do or is the AD like supposed to like step in and be like and ask like hey why are you moving this so they know what's happening I think it would be like if things seem to be going weird yeah I'd say an AD should be able to ask that question uh with no issues um because i know i as a pa would sometimes be like um wait what's what's going on because sometimes there's you're also there as a pa to kind of communicate and be the human amp to get news out to the whole set uh so there are times of course when production is gonna get news out to everyone and sometimes people don't hear the right stuff and you got to stop them and yeah it's all right awesome all right, moving on to the more technical side of things. Um, we talked about the cinematographer needing to know a little, or definitely needs to know like the cameras, lighting, 
um, the attention behind the, the scene and the actual style um, of the film itself. Um, let's just say, Chris, uh, in, in pre-production, how important is it to know um, the style um, as a director and like for the DP as well, how important is it to know like, the style of the, um, or the genre? Yeah, so um, I think a good example is I can talk about personally because this is a project I worked with Mark on. Um, Mark helped me as my director of photography to film Prelude Fantasia, which is kind of like a dramatic music video that, you know, has this whole grants, like, you know, scene of this uh, pianist playing a piano outside in the rain. And I was really, like, really, really focused on getting that one specific shot. And I did not know how to get anything else or even that shot. So I really had to talk with Mark for a really long time and kind of pick his brain and understand um, from his own expertise how we could even achieve it or if it was even possible for us to film something like that. And so um, we met a couple times. We went to the locations we would be shooting at. We talked about lighting. We talked about from which angle we should be doing this from. We talked about... Um, style and overall like warmth and then also oh, we talked about okay well how can we expect to do this on the day how big of our team are we going to have is it even possible for us to do some of these setups in the time that we have and kind of that whole process i was trying to really in my in my own way like kind of go through the checks in that case because that was really the first time i had gone for something of that scale and when you talk with your dp enough to like trust them with what they're doing but also to like um, give them the space to be creative as well and then you just kind of s go back to your role as primarily director it really really helps a lot because like mark was saying um when you can have that delegation and the distribution of roles and you know people looking out for their teams or their sections it actually functions a lot better in my opinion and it produces a better image and I really fell in love with a lot of the shots that we um, were able to get for my film. If you want to watch it, it's on Vimeo now. <laughs> Kenton, do you have anything to add on to that? Um, what's the question again? Um, why is like it important to know for the director as well as the DP the style of the genre, or the style of the film, or the genre of the film? Oh, um, so. I mean, if you don't know, like, what you're trying to do beforehand, you could be going into it, filming it like it's a comedy, and then it ending up like a noir, and you're just left with the weirdest noir ever in history. <laughs> <laughs> yep, certainly, definitely. Um, nice. Mark, uh, touching upon, really briefly, upon the, um, what, or, <laughs> let's touch upon briefly, why, um, or in what your opinion, what does a cinematographer need to know about their cameras? Oh, so I'd say uh, when kind of picking a camera for a project, um, I've often heard it said the best camera is the one in your hand, which is, I'd say, a very true statement. It's whatever you have to use. Um, but it's also important to know the usability. I mean, cameras are all really great these days um, across the board. So. I would say find the one you're most comfortable using and you'll probably get the best images out of it because you know that one so well. And then you're not dealing with technical issues. You're not dealing with having to learn new menu systems. 
if you know what is showing up on your monitor and you trust it and you know what it'll look like in post, it's way easier to do that. Uh, otherwise, just knowing basic stuff like making sure you do your white balancing, um, knowing how to check your data rates and recording formats and aspect ratios, uh, basic stuff like that. But it's more of it's a tool to capture the image and whatever tool you have to use, it's the one to use. Beautiful. Nice. What about lenses? Lenses. So I'm still trying to train myself on the subtleties of different lenses and their feelings. Um, but lenses do have different characteristics, so it's probably a good idea to check like two or three sets if that's an option to kind of pick the one you like the best. Um, but aperture, that's another big one to know, like what's the fastest you can get that lens, the widest you can open the aperture before things get funky. Like a lot of lenses will go down to like a one, two, but you open it up to one, two, and suddenly everything's got a glowing halo. So <laughs> uh, it's important to, to know the limitations of your lenses as well, especially like on wides, when they distort and how badly they distort. And maybe you love it. Sometimes I love the distortion. Other times you really don't want that. So do, do your tests. Awesome. Um, what about lighting? Lighting is pretty key. That's the, ah, whoops, pun. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> knowing how to light is one of the most important skills you can have as a cinematographer, because lighting is the entire mood and the feel um, of the image. So Lighting is one of the most important elements because it is setting the mood for your story. It's showing, it's guiding people's attention to like what's lit up is important. And you also have the stuff that's in shadow that I mean, it, it's all mood, what you can see and what you can't and the color of the light, all of the above. <laughs> oh, maybe this is a good question, Mark. Um, for students who are for making their film for the first time, um, who may not be as familiar with lighting um what should they be taking with them like what is like an essential thing or essential things of equipment that any student should take with them when they're filming something so i would to that i would say like if you're looking at lighting uh instruments um i i don't like to use them as much anymore but those like airy fresnel kits are incredibly versatile um because if you're starting with a hard light, you have the option to use it as a hard light. You could bounce it off uh, a board, and now it's a big soft light. Um, you can add gels, change your color temperature. So if you're looking for like a base package where the light that'll give you the most options, something like a Fresnel. Um, La Sierra has L7s. Those are pretty good. They can get semi-bright. You're not going to be able to really key anything off of them necessarily, but they still do a great job. Um, and then light modification is really important. So stuff like your silks, your nets, flags, uh, sometimes there's too much light. A lot of people don't think about negative fill, which is using like a large black solid to kind of block the ambient light just coming off of like, you look outside, the ground is bouncing light back up. The sky is casting the, the whole thing there. So if you have something like a really big sound blanket or uh, flag that you can bring in that can create some shadows 
also important. So lights and their modifiers more so than like taking out the sky panel to have a really big soft light, which is fantastic to do if that's what you need, but it's also a lot to carry on a small set. So yep, don't overpack, I think is important as well. Don't go overboard because I've done that so many times where it's like you have a whole truck filled with lights and you're like, well, I really only need one of them. <laughs> and sometimes like if your camera has enough dynamic range, it's like, I don't need any of them. I just need a, a solid right now. <laughs> uh, Chris, why is it, um, or if you touch upon the importance of camera movement? Oh, okay. So I love telling this story. Um, it was on EverReady where I discovered how important movement of the camera is to a scene. Um, when you have something that kind of is locked off and still, it doesn't feel natural because... I think Mark was the one that told me this, but like as our heads kind of like exist, we kind of like bob and weave a little bit, but our spine helps like keep it straight. And so it feels like it's steady, but in reality, our head's kind of doing this little like wobbly thing. Um, <laughs> and so like choosing how you want your camera to move in conjunction with how something's happening in a scene can really change its emotional impact or can really change how it feels, like Mark was saying. Um, as much as color and lenses affect it, so does like the slightest little motion affect how a frame feels. And depending on what feel you're going for, you want your camera to kind of match that, just like you want your lighting to match it, just like how you want your lenses to match it, etc. Yeah, I think my one of my favorite things to do if, if there's time is to do like a subtle push in. Um, I like there's so many things in like. Uh, shots in, in films and TV or like we don't even notice it where like the camera's like locked off and then it's something just like pushes in slightly as like as something happens I think that's one of my favorite things to do same um, Kenton do you have any questions upon anything that we just said cameras lighting um, lenses movement style um, I was wondering what's more important between a camera and a lens because I know cinema lenses are like top tier of like lenses that's a great question mark <laughs> yeah so like the the lenses i've used i mean budget wise um i've used like 50 dollar lenses a uh, hundred dollar thousand dollar ten thousand dollar lenses and it can get pretty subtle the differences mm. um like the two main ones that I've used recently are Illumina S35 lenses, which are these rehoused Lomo lenses. They're kind of going for a vintage vibe. So they've got some imperfections here and there and the, the coating kind of flares differently. So like that's a, a trait of the lens that it's, it's important to note because like your camera is not going to flare. It's the lens mm -hmm. that's going to flare and focus and fall off. So the lens is almost more artistic than the camera sensor because they're all so good now mm -hmm. um but then i've also used like zines which are the rokinon cinema lenses and they have a very unique feel as well but i mean if you don't look at them right next to each other you'll never know so <laughs> <laughs> it's like if your budget can't give you the like forty thousand dollar lens package you'll probably be okay um, I don't want to admit that because I want the $40,000 lens package, but um, <laughs> you'll probably be fine using something um, cheaper. 
what do you think is like the necessary like f stop or t stop to for a lens um i often shoot between two eight and four that's my common um f stop that i'm going to be shooting at and then i'm going to nd down to expose there um but if you're lenses can go way down to like a one two and you're going to be shooting outside at night and you don't have lights go for it go all in like <laughs> <laughs> all right and usually lenses that have um like a wider aperture like goes down to a one two a one usually they're going to be sharper when you come back down to that two eight so that extra headroom will give you better quality at like a two eight rather than a mm. lens that is two eight at its widest Mm. really briefly um mark uh, just like really like um, the standard settings for f-stop shutter speed iso and then like an nd if you um, need it outside yeah so um camera settings that are important to remember standard shutter speed on like a dslr you're going to want to go for like 50 uh 150th of a second uh that's based on the 180 degree rule for shutter for standard motion blur, which is where your shutter speed should be one over double your frame rate. And that's going to give you a pretty standard looking motion blur. Of course, you can kick it up a notch and go all saving Private Ryan and add some jittery frames, or you could drop it down and make some extra blurry motion blur. It's up to you. Um, ISO. Uh, it's important to try and shoot at your camera's native ISO. Right now, it's common that that's 800 because um, that's going to give you the best dynamic range on both the low end and the high end. And um, f-stop, I like to shoot at a 2.8 or a 4 because I get more depth of field out of that. Um, but it really is depending on what you're looking for because sometimes too much blurry background starts to uh, get old after a while. Mm. <laughs> nice and then an nd cuts down the light without having yep. to adjust anything right exactly yeah. yep outside you'll probably find yourself at like uh, a 1.2 nd to get down to a 2.8 on your lens awesome numbers 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 yeah <laughs> see when, when you went into filmmaking filmmaking is all math it's, exactly it's out there that math you break out your light meter and boom suddenly all of these like creative decisions become actual applicable numbers and that's key to communication as well nice little subtle question like just bouncing off that um on more high scale sets or larger sets right how important is it for you as a dp to be like okay i want that light or i want the amount of light coming from that area to be around this number and how important is it for a gaffer and the electricians to know what that means once you start um getting up to the larger scale um at all scales consistency is important but when you start getting really big consistency is very important because then you have stuff like reshoots that may end up happening um, and you need to know what your settings were exactly so you can match it um, so I would say that, I mean, effective communication on set would be nice for the DP to go in with a light meter and be able to get readings of all the lights and know that like, this light is twice as bright as this light. So your shadows are going to act a certain way. Uh, so you can start exploring, um, 
breaking down those consistent creative decisions like lighting ratios down into numbers and then you can give that to your gaffer and they can go get a light down to like a five six and it's way easier to communicate with these solid numbers and then you have record as well of what everything was yeah that in contrast to the student film thing of all right go and bring that light down keep going <laughs> keep going all right too far go back up okay split mm -hmm. the difference all right we're exactly. there that took way too much time if you can step in with your meter and be like keep going up 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 there it is two eight then you're done which meters are expensive and I wouldn't necessarily say you have to go for it at a student level, but they're nice. They're nice to have. Hmm. All right. Moving on to my favorite question. Um, <laughs> I think Chris, we're going to talk about this really, but all right, so yes, there is this common misconception that I feel um, that I, I definitely like had when I was younger that getting a bit better camera would make something magically look more cinematic. Mark, yep. thoughts on that? <laughs> that, yep, I was in the same boat. I remember getting a GoPro 4K and I was like, this is it. This is the make or break. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Um, you start to discover that a cinematic image comes from everyone coming together to make it. It's the DP does have a, a role in it but it's the whole team coming together the director the cinematographer the gaffer the set designer the production designer especially wardrobe all of these departments coming together so that what you're filming is cinematic i think that's the shift that people need to make it's that what's in front of your lens needs to be cinematic if you want it to look cinematic mm. where um as you get nicer and nicer cameras, it gets easier. I, I'll admit, it does get easier to make things more cinematic because they're much more forgiving, the high-end cameras, where they have a lot more sensitivity to shadows. So if you underlight, you can bring it back up. And much more sensitivity in the highlights. So if you go a little too bright, eh, it's still there. You can bring it back. Um, but I'd say almost any camera could produce something that looks cinematic. Like iPhones are rocking it right now. <laughs> Multiple music videos are being shot on the iPhone 11. That is and, true. And uh, you can't argue; it looks pretty fantastic. Yes, um, Chris, I'll get to you after Kenton. Kenton, what makes something look cinematic? Um, I would like to say the main thing that makes something look cinematic is being able to light something properly. So, like if you're trying to have like a really like dark, like not dark as in color dark, but as in tone dark, it's better to have like, not have it be lit up like with a hundred lights or whatever. Like you want the tone or you want the image to match the tone. I would say to make something look cinematic. Yeah. Consistent lighting is important as well. All right, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, I have a list. Hold on, let me just pull it up really quick. Now, I think the biggest things that I've noticed um, is like what Mark was saying. It's everything that you put in front of the lens really kind of changes how it's going to come through the lens and then eventually come to a screen. Um, so, for instance, the things that I try to do, um, how is how much depth is there in the background? 
am I filming something where there's clearly a separation of planes of field? Okay. How much color saturation slash, you know, how bright are some things, what it needs to be highlighted, what doesn't need to be highlighted. Is there space for darkness? Is there space for highlights? Is there like proper framing that kind of like immediately grabs your attention as a viewer and points it in the direction that you want it to point in? And ultimately, does all of that combined make you feel something? And if it does, I think you've accomplished your goal of making something cinematic. Yeah, that's great. I think, um, Mark, you touched upon it uh, as well, um, where you, you guys nailed it spot on. I think for me, um, something that I would like to add on is that the intention has to be there. Um, mm-hmm. From a story standpoint, from a visual standpoint, and from um, the director's standpoint as well. Because if if you just go into an area and be like, oh, I think this looks cool, then that's not probably like the best for your story overall. Rather than like actually like in pre-production, you're like, you visit the location, you're like, okay, um, we can set deck this um, to make it give off this vibe, to make this character seem this way. And then, um, you know, we choose the colors on that and then we have the camera come in, which can give this movement um, when we choose this lens in this area so that it gives off this feel and this emotion and we can light it this way so, to also hint at that um, greater intention and subtext as well. I think all that um, combines to making look something look cinematic um, that you guys all just said. Um, yeah, um, but on the student film, I, I understand it might be hard to just be like, oh, you know, that's, you know, I just want to go out and make something look cool, but I feel like the intention really has to be there. I think what Mark was saying is kind of really key. Like the step of like almost like an evolution of your thinking is, okay, I want to make something look cool. Okay, I know how to make something look cool by doing these steps. Okay, I know the numbers behind that now so I can communicate that to somebody else so that they can help me. I think like getting your thinking past, oh, that looks cool to why does it look cool is really important and really uh foundational to kind of developing your eye as a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so touching upon that a little bit more, um, is it better to get as a lot of coverage and as much as possible, or is it better to have like an intended um, direction of, of how you want to shoot it and then shoot it that way? I think it's important to kind of balance between those um, where if you've taken the time before the shoot to kind of plan your shots and know uh, the key elements. Uh, One of the cinematographers that I follow a lot is Shane Hurlbut. And the way he likes to break down scenes is that he finds what he calls the key frame. So as he's reading it, he'll look for Uh, or he'll try to imagine one still frame that tells the emotion of that scene. And then he'll start from there when he's doing his shot list. He's like, okay, so if I need that shot, how do we build around that so we can get in, uh, track the scene to that moment, and then, of course, uh, get out of that moment the whole way through. Um, So I'd say, yeah, sitting down and planning out your shots. But then on the day, 
it's important to know that there's flexibility. Uh, things aren't going to look like your storyboards all the time. And you'll have to make adjustments or you'll see something that you never considered when you were planning and you can get it because under coverage is also a problem for editing, which is I'd, I'd recommend anyone who wants to get into directing or cinematography do a lot of editorial because that's where you see the missing pieces all the time is you're like, ah, I wish I had a close up on that or I wish there was a wide so that I could catch a catch a breath. So it really helps you learn about scene coverage and what's necessary because over coverage is another issue that like filming every little thing as a close up. But I mean, it, you never know. It could be what you need. Yeah. You, you definitely don't want to be in like the, the editing house and be like, Oh, I'm the, the story has like almost changed completely than what was originally intended. And now we like the, the way we shot, it doesn't follow this this new path and you also don't want to be on set and be like, Oh, we're shooting this thing again. <laughs> you know, Chris thoughts on that. Yes. And is my answer. So I, I totally agree with Mark. Um, like, like he was saying, I think there needs to be a very clear balance. And I think the more that you do this work, you'll kind of figure out that in general, a lot of things kind of need to be balanced between, Oh, uh, we need to get as much as we possibly can or no, we need to focus on this one thing or this single key moment, because I'm guilty of the single key moment thing and only focusing on that. And I just did not have enough coverage to cut away to. And it is kind of heartbreaking sometimes because you're just watching it and you're like, I can't, I can't edit this. There's nothing else to put here. Mm -hmm. Kenton, thoughts? Um, I think they seem to cover it very well. I would go back to what Mark was saying is in find the balance between both that would probably be the best way to do it yes all right um mark how does one get started in cinematography well you just kind of pick up a camera and you start filming things is kind of a way um if you're looking for a bit more um i guess like the ladder that you climb um i got really lucky in that because of how things worked out with Loma Linda, I just kind of jumped to being a DP. I didn't work as an AC or an operator. Kind of wish I had, to be fair, um, because I think there's that fear of, I don't know what I don't know. So as you start working on bigger sets, you're like, what are they going to expect from me? Because I don't have the latter experience behind it. Um, but I guess for someone who's looking to start out, uh, you can start out pretty much at any scale, I'd say, working as an AC um, or a camera utility, I believe is the like the union entry point where you just kind of are a cable runner. You're at the camera truck, winding cables, living your best life, maybe bringing coffee <laughs> to the DP um, or an apple. I've done that once. <laughs> but uh, then you just work your way up the system to like a second ac and now you're a little more hands-on with the actual like filming equipment and then to first ac and you're pulling focus and suddenly you're a camera op and then you're a second unit dp and then you're your main unit so it's building your way up or just kind of uh, if you wanted to just kind of start filming stuff for people and see if they notice you get your work out on the internet and you never know who's going to reach out 
if you had uh, like one piece of advice for like a film student interested in, cin in cinematography, what would that be? Always be um, learning <laughs> is important. There's so many resources out on YouTube, uh, like Masterclass, um, anywhere you can find them. A lot of DPs are sharing their knowledge now. So I'll just find the ones you really like and follow and get their advice and then apply it would be key. So try to make stuff as often as you can, which is something I wish I could do more of, but I don't get to. Uh, so uh, getting to practice, because every time you shoot and then you go back to edit, you'll see what you've missed, what worked really well, and then you can just keep on building from there. And a few shoots down the line, you'll look back and be like, wow, I have improved. And that's a cool feeling. What are some uh, cinematographers or resources that uh, you you like to look at? Ah, so the bulk of my film education came from Film Riot, the <laughs> classic Ryan Connolly. Mm -hmm. um, I follow Shane Hurlbut. He shares a lot of his info. He has the Hurlbut Academy, which you can subscribe to, and they have lots of, um, I'd say, across the board from entry level to high end production um video stuff you can watch those classes and get ideas of how to do things at any scale uh matt workman is doing some really cool stuff with virtual production which who knows with how things are going that could be really important in the future knowing how to do virtual stuff um otherwise uh like on instagram i'm following basically i look up the hashtag cinematography and anyone whose stuff catches my eye i'll follow them and then scroll through Instagram and get depressed every day. Like, why does my stuff not look like this? <laughs> <laughs> but it's motivating, right? Let's hope so. Yep. Chris, Kenton, any uh, thoughts or less thoughts, comments, or questions that you want to ask? Um, I had one thought about when you asked um, what cinematographers should do in school. I would say put in as much effort as you possibly could because you won't get a chance like school again to just have this much free time on your hands. Definitely. And everything is an opportunity to practice, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. Chris? Um, I would say if you like a movie and you're watching something and you notice something about how it looks, maybe look up who that DP is. Maybe see what this other stuff they've done. Maybe try to research and figure out how they did a shot. And like Mark was saying, maybe it's better as well just to kind of look up, you know, what people are tagging, what people are posting about. And even if you don't know their name, if something like Mark says catches your eye, try to figure out why it does that. That's it. Thanks once again to Chris, Kenton, and Mark for joining me on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it and you listen to more.